Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Love doing life with you and appreciate you. I'll be looking back at you a lot today. All right, so uh, we're in our series called Orchard. For those of you that are checking it out for the first time, we are studying the fruit of the Spirit. These are things that are produced in us and grown in us as Christians when we lend our lives over to be used by God. These are evidences that God is working in our life. And I want to tell you something that the Lord kind of put in my heart as I was putting this together today. Here are the differences in some of these qualities that can be found in people that don't know God and people that do know God. The fruit of the Spirit is nourished by the light of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Did you know that trees and plants grow toward the sun? They grow toward the sun. Jesus is the source. Did you know you can actually grow plants with no sunlight, with artificial sunlight? The way you can know that the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit is they always grow toward Jesus. Ooh, I hurt my hand and it felt good. They always grow toward Jesus. That is the difference in having some of these things. Some people have love, some people have joy, some people have a measure of peace. But if those things are not pointing towards Jesus, they're not the fruit of the Spirit. And we want to have the fruit of the Spirit. That's that's good. Y'all ought to be typing, hallelujah, white boy on a tear today, something like that. I don't know what you should be doing, but I know that this is going to be good today. And you guys need to get excited about what God is doing here. So it says, what happens when we live God's way? Galatians 5.22, he brings gifts into our lives the same way fruit appears in an orchard. By the way, we are the orchard. We want our lives to, to uh, cultivate and nourish spiritual growth in everything we do. He grows things like this. What are the, what are the uh, fruit of the Spirit? In the message version, it says affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. The New International Version says love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And then finally, with today's message, since today is on goodness, I'm going to look at James 1:17 that says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Let's pray today. I'm going to talk to you about goodness, the fruit of the Spirit, goodness. Father, thank you for your faithfulness and goodness. I pray over everyone that's watching today that no matter where they are in their journey of faith, that you would reveal yourself and you'd be with them. We pray for our nation, our country, uh, our world. We pray for our state, our city, our church. Uh, Lord, our campuses, that you'd give us wisdom as we move forward uh, to do what's honoring to you, to truly be a light to broken people. And and in everything we do, let the hope of Jesus shine and let people be lifted up in you, dear Lord God. We pray for miracles, for healing. We've got people in our church that need physical healing they need financial miracles. We pray for those things. We put our faith in you, Jesus, you and you alone, that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly far above all that we can ask or think. And we trust you for that today in Jesus' name, amen. So I hope you're not getting bored 
talking about all the things that our life should look like if we know the Lord. Uh, because these are things that should be encouraging and attractive to us. They should be things that we desire for our lives. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, a willing to stick it through. Uh, kindness, we talked about last week, kindness. Sweetness, having a, a sweet disposition, not living life with that edge. Somebody type in the chat there today, say, I don't want to live with an edge. That's what we, If you didn't see that last week, you need to go back and watch it. Literally talking about having a sweetness. That doesn't mean a weakness. It means that there's something uh, mellow, mellowed out about who you are, not living your life. Well, what'd you say to me? Who, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you said something. I thought you were talking to me. Listen, that's not, that's, not, that's not sweetness, that's not kindness. So that kindness is really the disposition of our spirit. It's an ev kindness in our heart and our attitude of kindness is really a way that we can know that the Holy Spirit is working on the inside of us. But today, I'm gonna to make a little bit of a distinction between kindness, and yes, I'll just tell you straight up, sometimes some of these are very closely related, and they kind of work in conjunction with each other. So kindness and goodness are similar. Last week when we were talking about kindness, we are talking about that inward sort of disposition, sort of the spirit that's on someone, they have a kind spirit. But today, as we talk, and even one of the words that we used last week was that Hebrew word hesed, uh, which is loving kindness. It's, it's sort of this whole nature of a person. But today, uh, the Greek word that is used here is agathosign. And it is, it is virtue uh, or goodness. It, and, and it's pretty easy to figure out what goodness means in this sense. It's people that do good things. Okay, so you're able to see and know that someone has goodness in their life by the things that they do. Okay, so I, I want to jump into that idea of goodness by saying something to you this morning. And what I want to say to you is this, I am not a good person. Okay, now I just want, I want to say that again. This may be discouraging for you if I'm your pastor, <laughs> but I am not a good person. Now, I'm not asking you to say that today. I'm not going to ask you to repeat that. But I will ask you, is that difficult for you to say? Or do you believe that today? Because I think when talking about the subject of goodness, we have to define the origin of goodness. What is goodness according to the Bible? If people are going around saying they are good, then what is goodness? How can you figure out what a good person is if we don't know what constitutes goodness itself? I'd be careful thinking I was a good person if Jesus was careful even saying he was a good person and he wasn't just a good person, he was a perfect person. He's the only person that has ever lived in the history of humanity that, it, that would be able to say, I am a good person because he had not broken one single law of God. He was God, in fact, himself in human form. But he did not break one of God's laws. Yet a pious, religious, arrogant man came to him one time and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was gonna be a smart aleck with Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Jesus senses 
that he is arrogant, that he believes he is a good person. This man believes he is a good person. So by coming to Jesus and saying, good teacher, he's seen the miracles. He knows that Jesus is divine. So he calls him good teacher and he just crushes this guy. How does he do it? He goes, why do you call me good? He says, no one is good except God alone. So what does he say? What does this guy must be thinking at this point? He's going, whoa, my whole point of coming to Jesus is that I'm a good person and I'm trying to brag about how good I am. But the one who's actually good just said only God is good. So what does that make me? Exactly. Jesus' point wasn't that he is not a good person. He certainly is. His point is actually, sorry, bro, you're not. (laughs) Wow. Romans 3.10 through 12 says, as it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You say, man, I thought the Bible was supposed to be encouraging. Well, I mean, it is encouraging, but we have to understand what sin actually has done to us and what sin actually is. Sin is a transgression against God ultimately. And God has a standard of holiness and perfection that he demands for himself. And any infringement against his holiness, any crime against his perfection and his holiness is intolerable for him. Now, before you check out, please listen to me. This is really important. So if, if you knew someone that was 100 years old and said, I met you know, a million people in my life, and I didn't kill 999,999 of them. I only killed one. Uh, what, what are you supposed to do in that situation? Do you go, well, congratulations for not, but who is this person that you killed, by the way? <laughs> like, what, what are you supposed to say? And that's kind of the point with the good person concept is that we're thinking, I haven't killed anyone. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. But see, to God and his holiness, anything that we have done, that's why the Bible says that if you've broken even the smallest part of the law, you've broken all of it. Okay, this is very important. Please stay with me here today as we're talking about goodness because I want us to start with an idea of what goodness actually is. Goodness originates from God. It comes from him. The only good thing there is, the only good thing that is possible in this universe has to originate with God. Did you know that when I was young and I used to want a place to preach all the time, my dad was the senior pastor here. I didn't preach. uh, I I didn't have a place to preach. I was a youth pastor uh, and and I would preach, you know, at, at youth group, but I just want to preach all the time. So I would go out in my 20s on the street alone. Literally, I would leave my house by myself without a soul and I would go every night on the streets and I would just preach. I learned how to talk to people. I learned about Jesus. I learned to just preach on the streets. And did you know that in that time period when I would go out and talk to people, the number one thing that people would tell me when I would tell them about Jesus is I don't need Jesus because I am what? I'm a good person. 
That's the number one thing. So we feel, and I say we because this is all of us, we feel that there is something inherently good in each of us. We feel like our ideals are not just good, <laughs> but yeah, in fact, better than everyone else's, that our enlightenment, if everyone could just see things the way I see them, we would fix all the problems in the world. Why can't everyone just see it the way I see it? That is how highly we think of ourselves, of the good that it, that's origin is in us, not in God, but in us. And our individual brand of goodness is better than everyone else's. It's not just good to us. We don't just think we're good. We think we're actually better. And if there's no one that's good, and, and we've learned that. I mean, that's what Romans 3, 10 through 12 says. It says, none is righteous. No, not one. If there's no one that good, good then where does it come from? Is that a good, hallelujah wall, is that a good place to jump off today? I don't know what you came for today. Maybe you didn't come for this, but I know that I, I, we're going to go somewhere together on a little journey. If we'll, I'll, I'll stick with it. First Chronicles 16.34 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Exodus 34.6 says the Lord, by the way, if you go back and read this, this is actually God talking about himself. It says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Psalm 119, 68 says, you are good and do good. Two different things. You are good and you do good. So you define good. And then in addition to that, you do good. Teach me your statutes. See, we learn from these scriptures that goodness is the hallmark of who God is and what he does. So he is good and he does good. And so, okay, now this is where I want you to really connect and stay because this is going to come back to you, which is the most intriguing subject that we can ever talk about in this world. <laughs> you ever notice that you really love people that talk about you? Have you ever noticed that when you're around someone, they say, how are you doing? You go, man, I like this person. <laughs> That's interesting. We, we, all, we all think that way, don't we? This is going to come back around to us eventually. But, but we need to go to the right place first, which is to the Lord. So he defines good. That means every aspect of God is good. Come on, somebody say amen today. Every aspect of him is flawless. His moral character is spotless. So here's the thing, and this is what I want you to think about for a second today, because we're talking about the fruit of the spirit of goodness. Every aspect of God is good. But if you read through the Bible, there are things that you see that we question why it happened. Okay, so we'll see God wiping out entire groups of people. Kill every single person in this tribe that you fight. I don't care who it is, women, children, everyone. We see things in the Bible that infringe upon our sense of justice or our adapted sense of what goodness is. So we make the fatal error, if we make this error, and we do, of saying, well, maybe all of God isn't good. Maybe there are certain things, parts of him that are good or certain things that are not good. And that is a fatal 
flaw in us. See, it, if, if, if we see God doing something that appears unjust, the issue is our perception of what justice is. That's the real issue, is our perception of justice is warped. See, and here's another thing that is really tough for us to swallow. But some of the awful things that took place in the Bible, not only did God allow, but he willed. That doesn't mean he willed evil. It means that his sense of goodness is so powerful and so important that what had to happen in order that his ultimate goodness could be seen, in some sense, was very tragic. So to God, we see that goodness is much bigger than just nice things or pleasantness. It's way bigger than niceness or pleasantness. It's way bigger than trendy definitions of what goodness is. Goodness is a sovereign part of God's character, and it is all about a heavenly agenda that points towards Jesus. That's what actual goodness is. So when you say, I'm a good person, does, is that what we're talking about? Are you talking about a sovereign part of God's character and a heavenly agenda that always points to Jesus? Because that's the Bible's definition of goodness. See, Jesus could have used that opportunity when this man came up to him and asked him about what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher, Jesus could have gone, you're wise to call me good. Because I'm not just good, I'm great. That'd be great to you, sir. No, he, he didn't do that. He wouldn't even do it. He was trying to teach this man that if you ever experience goodness, it's God's. And it's God flowing through you. He is the origin, we are the vessel. Type that up in the chat room, say, he is the origin, we are the vessel. He is the origin, we are the vessel. See, religious people won't like what I'm about to read. Why? Because it takes us out of it. Just like Jesus deflated this guy who came and said, hey, what do I have to do to be saved? Because his point was, I already fulfill all th th this man who came to Jesus. I already do all these things. I've got it all down. Just tell me what I'm already doing is great. That's what he wanted Jesus to do. Jesus wouldn't do it. He just popped him right off the, the bat, which is what he does with us too. But why do we get so deflated when we hear this message? Because we can't earn these things. These are things that God gives to us because of his goodness, not because of ours, but in fact, in spite of our badness. <laughs> he gives us these things because of his goodness. Ephesians 2, 8 says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Hallelujah, wall. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is grace. God's grace has allowed us to be saved through faith. And it's not even a faith that is from you. It says it's not from yourself. It is the gift of God. This faith that we possess, there is nothing in us. I remember the day that I chose Jesus. You may remember the day that God activated that gift of faith in you. It has to do with his choosing you, not you choosing him. It says, it's the gift of, uh, it's the gift. You say, I don't like that. Well, read more. You won't like this either. 
It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Who is allowed to brag? Nobody. Who is allowed to brag? Jesus is saying, I'm not going to let anybody brag. I'm going to look right in the mic. It's probably not even focused. He won't allow anybody. This is our new jib right here. I haven't got to see this jib. I'm right up in the jib. He won't allow anybody to brag. Why? Because he did it. He's going to get the credit. He's going to get the glory. It just says we're God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He prepared the good works. He created the agenda. It is his power that enables us to do those things in the first place. It is not originated in us. What's incredible here is that we learn that we're created to do good works, even though we are not good. Okay, can we review real quick before we finish up? Okay, here's the review. We are not good. Okay, he is, I'm not going to make you repeat it. Okay, but here's the review. We are not good. He is. He saved us because of his goodness. He prepared in advance for us to do good because of him. Okay, so... You say, well, you, you started out by saying you're not good, then what's the point of doing good? Well, James 2, 14 says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes. This is almost like comedy. It's, it's hilarious. It's, it's, it's a great point. It says, it says if someone claims, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, go in peace. Keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? That is literally like a stand-up comedy line. He's using an extreme situation that is comical to show you how ridiculous it is to say that you have faith, but to see something that is right in front of you that you do nothing about other than say, I mean, you've got a naked person that needs clothes, and you go, find clothes in the name of Jesus. No, give them clothes. Help them. What this is telling us is that we are created to do good things, that the faith that God gives us, stay with me here. This is some powerful stuff. The faith that God gives us enables us through him to do good things that are pleasing to him because of him. He is doing his good in us. He says, in the same way, faith by itself that's not accompanied by action is dead. It's dead. He says, someone will say to me, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So this, this passage here in James 2 is just punching us in the mouth. Telling us that, yes, faith is what we believe. And we know, because we just read it right here in Ephesians, that we're not saved by good works it tells us it's a gift. No one can boast. We don't earn our way to God. But yet James 2 
tells us that we show our faith by our deeds. So is there a contradiction here? No, there's not. Why? <laughs> That's a great question. That's why I'm a preacher and I ask those questions. When, when you add this, you see that doing good is inevitable when Christ is living in you, hallelujah all. Doing good is inevitable when Christ is living in you. You're not saved because of your good works. You do good works because you are saved. You're not saved because you do good works. You do good works, hallelujah all, because you are saved. We can't help ourselves from doing good for God's kingdom when Jesus is the center of our lives. The goodness that we have, if we have any, it can't, or, uh, it can't originate in us. Do you know that it is literally like plagiarism for us to take credit for the goodness that comes from God? It's like taking someone else's creative work and putting your name to it and saying, this is mine. That's not right. It's unfair to the Lord who deserves the credit. If there is any good thing that we have done, it is not because of us, it is because of him. It is 100% because of him. Now, because time is limited here today, I wanna close with a couple of ideas about God's goodness toward humanity. Okay, because I want us to keep the focus on the fact that if any good thing happens through us, it's because of him. Now he shows his goodness to all people, all human beings, and, and even the universe and the world and creation in a measure. But then there's a different level of goodness he shows to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So first of all, Matthew 5:45 says, he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So there's a measure of goodness and beauty that it doesn't even matter if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, whoever you are, you can go see the Grand Canyon. You can go look out at the ocean. That's why, isn't it amazing? Sometimes when you go to the beach and you see the masses of people there, do you ever think why? Why are they all here? Because it's so beautiful. It is so compellingly beautiful that people cannot stay away from admiring the goodness of God. They have to praise him. They don't even realize they're praising him. They think they're just enjoying themselves and having a party and blah, blah, blah. But no, the reason they've chosen that place to have a party is because God has shown off <laughs> and they're admiring his wonder and his beauty. So there's a measure of goodness that God shows everyone. Now, here is the scary part of this is that there's also a measure of goodness that God keeps on people to prevent them from going absolutely nuts, from going absolutely crazy, because there are no limits to how far mankind can go when we harden our hearts toward the grace of God in our lives. As a matter of fact, Romans 1, it's really scary. It says they didn't bother to acknowledge God. They, basically, it says when you get to the point where you've pushed God out of the equation so much that he has nothing to do with anything, uh, he's not in our moral lives, we don't find him in creation, creation is just completely accidental, 
everything, all the beauty and intricacies of this world, we come up with all these solutions that have nothing to do with honoring him. It says, since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose. Rampant evil, evil grabbing and grasping, vicious backstabbing, hell on earth with envy, killing, bickering, cheating. Look at them, mean-spirited, venomous, fork-tongued God-bashers, bullies, swaggerers, insufferable windbags. They keep inventing new ways of wrecking lives, ditch their parents, and then get in the way. Stupid, slimy, cruel, cold-blooded. It's not as if they didn't know better. They know perfectly well they're spitting in God's face and they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to, do, to those who do the worst things best. That is really scary. And I think that it even kind of goes to the element, for instance, remember, I've heard a lot of people that have a lot of trouble with the, the, the scriptures that talk about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. That if God is all good, why would he do something that is evil in hardening Pharaoh's heart? Even the concept of original sin and, or, or just sin in general, the introduction of sin into the universe, that how did that start with God? These are questions that people have that I believe there are, some are very mysterious and some of them really do have uh, some answers to it. I don't have time to really dig into all of them, but let me give you a little kind of glimpse of an idea. When Colossians 1.17 says that he is before things and in him all things hold together. That literally means that, and it's referring to Jesus. If you re read in Colossians 1, it's talking about Jesus. It's basically saying it is the grace of Jesus that holds the universe in place. He set all these things in motion, but he's holding it together. He's holding our world together. The reason we don't crumble apart is his grace that's on us. So when you talk about hardening Pharaoh's heart, God in that situation was not adding evil to Pharaoh. What he was in fact doing was removing a measure of grace that was already there. He was saying, look, if you wanna continue pushing away from me, I'll let you, instead of stepping with you every, way, every step you take away, instead of stepping with you, I'll stay here and let you get further and further away. I'm not moving toward evil, you're moving away from good. See, and that's the idea of God's goodness that we have to take very seriously. We have to pray about this, that with all of these people in the world that think they are so good, it's dangerous to believe that goodness can originate in us because it can't. He is before all things. He holds all things together. Yeah. See, and, and then lastly, in the last couple of minutes here, I want to talk for just a second about the beauty of the, so there's that goodness that he shows every person, but there is a goodness that is reserved for those that he has chosen. If he has chosen you, lift your hand today. I believe he has chosen me. And I'm going to tell you something. He did not choose me because I'm good. When I started out this message by saying I'm not a good person, I wasn't saying it for the message. I'm saying it because I mean it. I am not. The only thing that is good about me at all is the fact that my God has loved me and he has chosen to use me and to make his goodness known in me despite me. And that is the beauty of who 
God really is. And there is a goodness toward us as his children that he will never take his love away from us. There is a beauty in that while we were dead in our sins on the worst day of our lives, he loved us. Romans 3.21 says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen to this, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Why did I read this even though it is a little wordy? I read it to let you know this, that his goodness, nowhere in his goodness does he go, ah, oh, Jeff's good, he's fine. Oh no, Jesus had to pay the consequence. Jesus paid the full measure. The only good person that ever lived willingly volunteered to step in on my behalf and God in his goodness is a God of justice that must execute his wrath against sin. Do not get that wrong. He must execute his wrath against sin. But he did that against his own son so that I could have the righteousness of Christ in me. The ultimate great exchange took place. He imputed he deposited into me a righteousness and a goodness that I don't possess. It comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Any goodness that is in me has nothing to do with me and everything to do with Jesus. John 1 says, but to all that did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Born of God, not of my will, not of goodness that originated in me, but I was born of him who chose me. He chose me. And Romans 8, 28 says, for we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. See, I'm not good, but everything works for my good. Why? Because of him who loved me. It is him working in me. And can I do good things? He can do good things through me all day. Doesn't mean I'm a good person. And I know some of that is semantics. I, I, I mean, I've, I've met tons of people. I say, man, he's a great guy. He's a good guy. I, I'm not trying to be corny here where you can't ever say something like that. She's a great lady. She's a really good lady. I, we, we say those things. I'm talking about on a deep philosophical and theological level, we understand that goodness has nothing to do with us. And here's, here's one last thing that I wanna tell you. So many things flow from God's goodness, including his mercy. See, mercy is actually not required for God to be good. 
Okay, this is, this is something that is maybe for a later conversation. I just wanna throw this out there to you. Mercy is not required for God to be good, but he does it anyways. Why? Because he's so good. See, he doesn't have to pardon anyone. If he didn't pardon someone, see, we're deserving of death because of our infringement against him. But he gives us mercy instead because on top of his goodness, he also chooses to be merciful. So let's allow our lives to be a conduit, a vessel for the goodness of God to flow through. I'll, I'll close this morning with these two scriptures. Luke 6, 43 says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. A good man, so do you wanna be a good man? Do you wanna be a good woman today? I do. I can't do it on my own, I have to do it through Jesus. So here's, here's what it says about someone that's living for Jesus, whose life is growing toward Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. Trees grow toward the sunlight. If our life is growing toward Jesus and we're producing spiritual fruit, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If the things that are coming out of your mouth are divisive, if the things that are coming out of your mouth are evil, if they're unkind, if they don't point toward a sovereign heavenly agenda that always points towards Jesus, then you might question whether the fruit of goodness is being activated in your life because no good tree bears bad fruit. And that doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. We certainly do. I believe you can be a good tree and you can have some things in your life that are not working. I think the ultimate thing is what happens if something bad happens, negative takes place. What if bad fruit? Do you allow God to prune it from your life and to cultivate you so that you're continuing to produce? Is, are you allowing him to cut away from your life the things that are not pleasing to him? If so, you're a good tree, but if not, be careful. And then finally, and, and notice how most of this has been about God. <laughs> That's pretty intentional. But I'll tell you this, if you're allowing the goodness of God to be seen in your life, Galatians 6, 9 does tell us, don't get tired. Don't get weary of doing good. For you will reap in due season at the proper time if you don't get tired and faint. Keep doing good. Don't repay evil for evil, with evil. Repay evil with good. Love your enemies. Pray for those who willfully persecute you. See, this is how we know that we're Christians, is that we're able to do things that as human beings, we're not able to do. We're able to love people. We're able to give dignity and respect to people that we don't agree with, to people that, that the Bible maybe says what, what they're doing according to God's word is not right, but they're 
my neighbor and I'm supposed to love them. I'm supposed to give them dignity. I'm supposed to give them encouragement. I'm supposed to be an example of God's faithfulness and his goodness in my life. Let, let God's goodness be seen in you. How can you know that it's God? If you're able to do something that you couldn't do on your own, that's probably the Lord. And that's, the, that's, that's what we need to be searching for every day, to see his goodness manifest in our life. So I'm not a good person, but God is good. And I allow him to do good things through me. If you're watching today and you do not know Jesus, I wanna take this moment and really challenge you in this season where we're doing church online and people are watching at different times, I think it's more important than ever to give people an opportunity to really look at your heart and to look at your life. Are you living a life that points towards Jesus? If the answer is no, today is a day that you really need to ask the Lord to examine your heart and examine your life. How do we know? We read earlier that God gives us the faith. It's a gift that comes from him. If we know in our heart that God is drawing us toward heaven and that we need Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, that's not something that can originate in us. I'm not talking about emotional manipulation. I'm talking about a deep soul conviction. That's why the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, not in your head, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not just mental ascension and some recitation of, of a chant that causes you to be saved. It's not lifting your hand in a service or walking down to the front of the building at blink that causes you to be saved. It is being convicted by the person of the Holy Spirit that we need Jesus. I can't live my life without Jesus. It's believing it in your heart as well. If that's you today, I encourage you right now, lift your hand where you are. Go in that chat room, say, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life right now. Don't hesitate. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care if you used to be a pastor. If you need Jesus right now and you know it, and the Lord is telling you, say it right now. I need Jesus to become the Lord of my life. Our team is gonna pray for you and I'm gonna pray with you right now. I'm gonna ask you to repeat this prayer with me out loud. Say, I ask you, Lord. Ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. to become the Lord of my life. Become the Lord of my life. There is nothing good. There's nothing good in this life. In this life about me. About me. That originates in me. That originates in me. The only good thing. The only good thing. According to you. According to you. Is the love that you have for me. Is the love that you have. And the good you can do through me. The good you can do through. Save me today, Lord. Save me today, Lord. I'm blown away. I'm blown away. That you love me. On my worst day, become my Lord and Savior. Empower me with strength, with confidence to live the life that you've called me to live. And I'll serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Live that good life. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.